Bankless Nation. Welcome to this exploration of Jito. Jito is a Solana validator client, a staked soul token called Jito Soul, and an MEV optimization engine, all built into a single software suite, which we call Jito. Recently, the Jito airdrop shook the entire crypto industry as $200 million worth of Jito is distributed to over 10,000 addresses on Solana. And the Solana ecosystem seems to have turned a new page ever since. Notably, fees on Solana have started to emerge, changing the game when it comes to Solana economics, and Jito has found itself right at the center of this conversation. Today on the show, we have Lucas from the Jito team to walk us through the basics and the nuances of the Jito system. How does it work? How is it similar to Ethereum? How is it different? Bankless Nation, I've been doing some of my Solana homework. I think you're going to learn a ton about Solana and Jito in this conversation, as well as where Solana is in its development arc. But first, before we get into this conversation, our friends and sponsors over at Ambire want you to check out their wallet. But calling it a wallet really is underselling it. You've heard Ryan and I talk about account abstraction and smart contract wallets for a while now. The Ambire team is shipping that into reality with their Ambire V2 browser extension wallet. It's a browser extension like you already know, except instead of a vanilla wallet under the hood, Ambire has a breakthrough, first of its kind account abstraction wallet, aka smart contract wallet, under the hood. So if you've wanted to get your hands on a smart contract wallet on the new era of wallets that we all know is coming, Ambire is de delivering that opportunity to you. Today, there is a link in the show notes so you can unlock the full power of account abstraction without any compromise on user experience or security. There's a link in the show notes, ambire.com slash v2 to get started. A quick moment of reflection and thoughts before we get into this episode today with Lucas from Jito. I think the Jito conversation is a gateway into a broader conversation about Solana. Jito is a Solana app that relates deeply to the Solana protocol itself. And the emergence of alternative Solana clients like Jito and Firedancer spawns the conversation about Solana governance, right at the same time that Jito airdrops its governance token to govern over Jito. To me, the Solana conversation is potentially at the beginning of a very interesting arc when it comes to Solana economics and Solana governance. I think it's pretty easy to say today that Solana has captured the attention and energy of these low-level systems engineers and system designers, hardware people, and as a result has produced a very well-engineered crypto system. And with the launch of Jito and other developments, Solana is moving into needing new character archetypes to enter the scene. There is an airdrop season happening on Solana right now where Solana apps are launching their governance tokens and the emergence of multiple Solana clients will require human meat space conversations to make non-breaking upgrades with each other. In the Ethereum world, we have the Ethereum Magicians forums and the Allcore Devs call in order to produce rough consensus as to how Ethereum upgrades. Solana will also need to establish some sort of system and process to make this happen for itself. Solana is entering the very messy world of governance, something that all successful layer ones must enter in order to truly maximize their decentralization and robustness. This is a rite of passage that very few layer ones ever get through. Solana has gotten to that point and now it needs to get through that point. And as a podcast maxi myself, I'm absolutely here to host these interesting and challenging conversations and probably the best way that I can play any role at all in the growth of the Solana project now that Solana is entering conversations that I feel familiar with. And so with that context and preamble out of the way, let's go ahead and get right into the episode with Lucas from Jito. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred crypto exchange for 2023 and 2024. 
If you do not have an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to getting started with Kraken today. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade, and as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant, permissionless, and 24-7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect. But crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission, to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S territory customers by Payward Ventures Inc. PVI doing business as Kraken. With MetaMask portfolio, swapping tokens on-chain has never been easier. Swap tokens at any time with the most competitive pricing around. The MetaMask portfolio swap feature allows you to swap tokens directly by aggregating and comparing various decentralized exchanges to ensure you get competitive prices and low network fees. Choose the token you want to swap from and what you want to swap into and tap into combined liquidity across providers all automatically. Within MetaMask portfolio, you can easily swap tokens with low fees fewer approvals, and slippage protection for all of your trades. Manage your Web3 everything at metamask.io slash portfolio. Arbitrum is the leading Ethereum scaling solution that is home to hundreds of decentralized applications. Arbitrum's technology allows you to interact with Ethereum at scale with low fees and faster transactions. Arbitrum has the leading DeFi ecosystem, strong infrastructure options, flourishing NFTs, and is quickly becoming the Web3 gaming hub. Explore the ecosystem at portal.arbitrum.io. Are you looking to permissionlessly launch your own Arbitrum Orbit chain? Arbitrum Orbit allows anyone to utilize Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Orbit Orbit chain, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you're a developer, an enterprise, or a user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Visit Arbitrum.io and get your journey started in one of the largest Ethereum communities. Bankless Nation, I'm super excited to introduce you to Lucas, aka Buffalo on Twitter. He is the co-founder and CEO of Jito Labs, which recently had an airdrop inside of the Solana ecosystem that more or less changed the game for the entire crypto landscape. Lucas, welcome to Bankless. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here and talk more about Jito and Solana. Yeah, there's a, a number of different ways that I think Jito nerd snipes people. One is from the MEV side of things. One is from the Solana latency hardware networking side of things. Uh, another one is just from the economics side of things. And I think that's the way that I uh, approach Sujito is like the economics conversation. But of course, all of these Venn diagrams over overlap. I think we're going to approach each one of these angles one by one here on the episode today. But I kind of want to give a take and then a question about what I saw the Jito airdrop from the external perspective, from the outside perspective, because the Jito airdrop seemed to be something larger than itself. You know, it was a, an airdrop for an app when we've seen these before, but it wasn't really a typical airdrop. It kind of represented something larger than just a drop for a Solana app. It really turned into a symbol for the Solana community at large. And there's this like before and after the Jito drop moment for Solana. And after Jito, if we have before Jito and after Jito, after Jito is marked by a large uptick in Solana new addresses, new like new highs in Solana volume, new TVLs, and like a, a showing of Solana fees. 
And now there kind of seems to be a, a post moment for the post Gito drop. That's at least how I interpret it from the external perspective. And I kind of just want to ask, what was this moment like for you? What was it like to be on the inside? Uh, yeah, it was super exciting, very overwhelming. Um, we didn't expect it to go this well. I think, you know, it went much better than we could have ever anticipated. I think there's a lot of people excited about participating in GDO governance, and there's a lot of other protocols that are looking to decentralize very soon on Solana. And so I think, you know, it got a lot of people excited about Solana. There's a lot of good press there. And now you have a lot of people coming over to Solana from other ecosystems and, um, you know, interacting with a lot of the dApps on Solana and really just realizing like how good of a network it is, how fast it is, how cheap it is. And uh, I just love to see people coming over and trying it out. So one of the reasons I think why G the Gito drop was so significant is because Gito isn't just an app on Solana in the same way that Lido is not just an app on Ethereum. Like these things relate to the protocols that they stand upon. Uh, and so that's I, one of the reasons why I think this airdrop mark made up such a significant mark on the Solana ecosystem and also the, the broader ecosystem as well. So maybe maybe we can just start at the very beginning. Like what what is Gito and why is it so important for the Solana ecosystem? Yeah, so uh, Gito Labs builds infrastructure to efficiently extract MEV on Solana. Um, there's a lot of spam and uh, arbitrage transactions that are failing on Solana. And we kind of predicted this would happen back in 2021 and wanted to work on solving it. So Gito Labs built a lot of MEV infrastructure, created the Gito Solana client, which uh, enables the efficient MEV extraction built the Gito block engine, which is kind of like a block builder equivalent, uh, you know, like a uh, Beaver build or uh, R-Sync and stuff like that on Ethereum to uh, kind of efficiently extract MEV. Um, and then also built a lot of systems to make sure that the MEV is distributed to stakers. I think that's super important. Um, you know, validators can choose how much they want to distribute to their stakers. And also... Um, I'm also a contributor to Gito Network, which is a liquid staking protocol on Solana. So Gito uh, Network is, you know, operates the Gito Sol liquid staking token. So the Gito Sol liquid staking token for the Ethereum familiar people out there, that's like the staked ETH from Lido or the R ETH from Rocket Pool. But the interesting thing about Gito is that it's that is stacked upon a client. And so in Ethereum, we have things like um, Prism from Prismatic Labs. We have Lighthouse, Nimbus. We have these different clients that run Ethereum, that uh, run Ethereum consensus. And that is also what Gito is. Gito is also a client along with a staked SOL token uh, called Gito SOL. And then it's also this MEV extraction optimization engine. So it's like these three core products all kind of stock stacked on top of each other, right? Yeah. So yeah, anyone, um, it's a little, the staking on Solana is a little different than Ethereum. So anyone can run the Gito Solana client. Um, actually like currently today there's like 46% of Solana stake running the client, uh, over 300 validators and roughly $14 billion of soul stake to the client. And Stake pool, because Solana is delegated has delegated staking, stake pools can delegate to any validator that they want. So there's there's validators in, that are running GDA Solana that don't have any GDA Sol stake, and there's uh, validators that do have GDA Sol stake. There's also, I think every liquid staking token on Solana delegates some percentage of their pool to the GDA Solana client as well. 
So it's really just like an open source, permissionless validator client that anyone can run. Can you talk about just the synergies between this tech stack? Because some parts of it just make a lot of elegant sense. Um, there is like having a client that also is MEV optimized relating to a staked soul token. All of these things kind of make sense. Can you put these pieces together for us? Yeah, I think there's uh, I think there's definitely a lot of overlap. I think uh, liquid staking tokens are a really good opportunity to decentralize stake on Solana. That can be, um, you know, geographic decentralization, client decentralization, um, and, you know, all the other, um, you know, types of decentralization that exist. Um, and so, you know, I think GitaSol does pretty well at that, you know, helps kind of bootstrap the growth of the Gita Solana client. And also it um, can, you know, a lot of the, the validators that Gita Soul stakes to in the stake pool are sharing the MEV with stakers. So there's like a, a very, you know, up until a few weeks ago is, is a very small amount of MEV, but with the recent uptick in trading activity on Solana, that has massively increased. I think the, uh, I was looking at the numbers earlier today and Basically, over 50% of all MEV extracted by the system has happened in the last two weeks, and it's been live mm -hmm. for a year now. So there's been mm -hmm. like a massive, massive uptick in trading. Uh, there's a lot of improvements on the block engine that we can dive into later. Why, can we uh, stop and unpack why um, the existence of a staked SOL token adds to the decentralization of Solana? Can you unpack that? Yeah. So typically uh, what what valid or what stakers will do is they will go to like their phantom wallet or Soulflare or some other wallet on Solana. You know, they they go through the validators, they want to stake their soul, they'll just choose one validator to stake that to. And so um, you know, they're they're staking that to one validator. It's not spread across a network of validators. Um Gita Soul kind of improves that and basically when you deposit soul into the uh, stake pool program that Gito soul runs on. There is an algorithm running that will kind of look at all the different validators that are available to delegate to, and will delegate to those validators according to some like performance and decentralization metric. So instead of your soul, like if you have a hundred soul staking it to one validator, now you have a hundred soul, you know, there's a hundred validators, you know, one soul per validator. And those validators are spread across the entire world. So anywhere from like California, New York, Germany, Tokyo, Singapore, um, it's kind of spread all over the world. So, you know, it increases the uh, decentralization of the network from like a, a geographic standpoint and then also, um, you know, helps with some of the uptime um, mm. that you, it, it helps reduce, uh, it helps reduce the, potential for like downtime and validators and losing staking rewards as well. Okay. So if I just have soul in my phantom wallet, my Solana wallet, I could just delegate that soul to a single validator. And then I would start to get some of the issuance of soul and some of the fees of, of Solana, just because that's what that validator provides me, which is, which is a step towards decentralization. It's better than just me having vanilla soul in my wallet and not using that at all. Um, uh, but you, what you're saying is that if you just simply have this Jito system, uh, you can actually not really have to be locked into one single validator. And instead, the Jito system is a little bit, again, we're probably going to have to use a lot of Ethereum metaphors here because that's what the bankless, um, bankless audience is familiar with. In the same way that if you buy uh, Lido uh, stake ETH, 
you are actually spreading out your ether to like 32 uh, node operators. And eventually like that is destined to be, according to the light of roadmap, that's be, supposed to be permissionless. So the same kind of way, like rather than just picking one validator and having that be locked into that one validator and that one validator accrue a lot of soul, Jito spreads it out to many, 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 an open set of potential validators. And it also solves a simultaneous problem of having um, non-homogeneous soul, right? And so if I stake to one validator, my soul is stuck to that one validator. But if I put my soul in Jito, I get Jito's soul back in the same way I get staked ETH back from, from Lido. And so it, it both spreads it out to many, many validators. And I get a token back in return that can go back into the Solana DeFi ecosystem. Is this all correct? Yes, correct. And yeah, the there's an algorithm that's currently running and that'll transition to StakeNet, which I think we'll dive into in a bit, uh, mm. assuming that the Jito governance wants to switch over to StakeNet. And basically that will allow the protocol to, if it sees a, a validator is performing poorly, or maybe you have like validators that are moving around and there's too much stake in one region or something like that, then you can start to move that stake around. So like, as a, you know, if you want to support the decentralization of Solana and also have like a very high performing validator set that your soul stake to, then the Jito soul uh, stake pool kind of just takes care of a lot of that for you. I think if we were talking about a standard staking pool system on Solana, everything that we've talked about thus far is more or less like table stakes. Like you have um, a system for spreading out soul so that no one validator is enshrined and you kind of load balance based on metrics to optimize for things. This is all kind of like table stakes. And we haven't actually yet added in the MEV uh, component as well. And I think that's really kind of the thing that um, makes Jito go from table stakes to something like unique and special to Solana. Uh, and so you, you talked about it a little bit, MEV uh, extraction optimization. Why is that Im important, not just from like being a good product, but being good for Solana, the ecosystem? Yeah. So there's, um, you know, we, we ran some numbers like uh, close to a year ago. I think the numbers last I checked were pretty similar, but 98% um, of arbitrage transactions on Solana fail. And there's roughly 56% of compute wasted executing these failed arbitrages. So if you go on a Solana Block Explorer and you like look at the transactions, you'll see like all the DEXs and a ton of failures. And so, you know, that's kind of, that has a downstream impact on users. Like if you want to interact with the chain and the blocks are consistently full and they're kind of just like spending time executing this entire transaction and then rolling back the state, that's not really like the best in my opinion, like not the best use of block space. I think, you know, you want to see a high success rate of transactions. And so the Jito, the Jito client and the block engine kind of helps mitigate some of that. And essentially, you know, a lot of these people that are spamming the arbitrages, they are trying to, um, they're trying to order transactions. So like you send a trade, they'll kind of monitor it. Um, you know, see see if there's a uh, arbitrage between two dexes, and then they'll fire off one or two or three trades that try to capture that arbitrage. And using the the Jito Solana client and the Jito block engine, those searchers can bundle those trades together, so they actually execute back to back inside the block. And it's actually uh, if you if you know about proof of history, you've heard about it. It's actually uh, right next to each other in the proof of history tick chain. So it's literally like the fastest that you can 
capture it by the Solana protocol rules. It's just instantly captured. So the goal there is, you know, we want to try to enable this like efficient ordering so that people aren't spamming and try to free up some of the block space. And then also there's the validator and staker economics as well. Can we go into why there are is so much spam and so many failed transactions on Solana? And this is just a product of Solana being such a high throughput, low latency chain, correct? Uh, can you talk about why there is this incentive for traders and arbitragers to send out so many transactions? I think the one thing is that it's really cheap for transactions. So I think it's like a hundredth of a penny per transaction. Um, so there's not really like, uh, you know, if, if someone has a failed transaction on Solana, it's not going to cost them a lot compared to Ethereum where, you know, if you have a failed transaction, then you might end up paying 30, 50, $100, whatever the gas price is. Right, $100 to like try and get like $5 of revenue. So it really costs you to to make that failed transaction. Yeah, that um, also the, you know, the, the price of the transactions is so low that there's just so many microscopic arbitrages available. So the price of this, as I mentioned earlier, the price of a transaction is like a hundredth of a penny. So basically, if there's any profit over a hundredth of a penny available on Solana, an arbitrager is going to capture that. So there's just a massive amount of arbitrage transactions. Only the first one is going to succeed. The rest are going to fail. And so, um, you know, I think that's that's a lot of the reason why I think there's um, there's some like more engineering related things as well. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of work going into the scheduler to make it have less jitter and make it be more deterministic. So when you set a priority fee, it actually uh, lands in the block where you expect it to. I think another big thing that core engineers and like the fire dancer team and us and people on Twitter and a lot of people are talking about um, some other type of, you know, you, you have the carrot, you need the stick. Um, so how do you kind of throttle those transactions, uh, you know, probably through some dynamic base fee, I don't think copying EIP 1559 and copy pasting it onto Solana is the same thing. I think there's unique things uh, that there's Solana's unique, a unique architecture. So I think there's like some tweaks that you can make to EIP 1559. Um, and yeah, I think that will be, that's uh that's an area of research that I'm pretty excited about. Um, and we're starting to see kind of more people think about that and work on that. For, for the reasoning behind why so many of these transactions are failing, is it because I'm an arbitrage uh, arbitrager and I really just want my transaction in and because it's so low cost, I'll send out 10,000 transactions and only one of them will work and then, then 9,999 9, will, will fail? Or is it that like there's so many DEX arbors out there that you know, there's ten thousand of them, and everyone's sending out one transaction, and but only one of them gets it. Like, what is the actual reason? And then, of course, why are they failing? Well, because these conflict after yeah. these transactions conflict with each other after one of them succeeds. What, what is the actual reasoning as to why there's so many uh, failed transactions? Yeah, I think you hit both points. There's a lot of arbitragers on Solana. Uh, I think mm -hmm. there's a few hundred at this point, or at least there's a few hundred uh, signers. Um, TBD on how many entities are like running those signers. So there's a lot of arbitragers. I think arbitragers will typically send their transaction more than once. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say as high as 10,000 times, maybe like, right. you know, single digit number of times. And basically only the first arbitrage will win. So, you know, you, 
Um, and everyone, everyone's seeing the, the arbitrage opportunity pop up at different times, depending on, you know, your proximity to the leader that produced that arbitrage, uh, network propagation, your own code speed. So like, you know, one searcher might see it, uh, 10 milliseconds after it happened, another might see it 15, another might see it 20, another might see it like 200 milliseconds later. And so you, everyone's seeing it at different times. Everyone's firing off trades at different times. There's different propagation latencies associated with all that. And so you, you know, you'll, you have an arbitrage show up, uh, the first person will capture it and then you'll see like a ton of failures. Um, and then also going back to the point of like, the, the fees are so low that there's so many microscopic arbitrages. Right. Um, last time I looked, I think the, the average profit on an arbitrage was like a tenth of a penny. So mm-hmm. uh, there's just like a ton of super micro arbitrages. I think, you know, it, it is a good thing. I think the um, it's a I think it's a good thing that there's so many microscopic arbitrages. I think that it, it results in better prices. You have all these bots that are constantly rebouncing prices Compared to Ethereum, where like, you know, you, you basically are going to arbitrage if you can offset the price of gas. So there's pools that sit around that could be arbitrage, but the gas fight price is too high. On Solana, the gas price is so low that you know there's a ton of these arbitrages. Prices are in line. Um, there's just that the issue of the failed transactions that I think um, base fees and maybe some other protocol changes will help fix. How does Jito pr- produce fewer? Failed transactions. Yeah, so we provide searchers opportunity to bundle those transactions. Can't they just do that themselves? Can't they just bundle up a transaction and send it to them just to the vanilla Solana? Uh, so the vanilla Solana validator doesn't support bundles. Oh. Um, another thing is okay. that the yeah, so the bundles are a feature specific to the Gito Solana validator, and um, so yeah, another thing is that there's a uh, there's like a very, very short-lived uh, mempool in the, the block engine. And basically this lets searchers see these opportunities before they're going to happen. They can simulate and predict what's going to happen. And basically, you know, you send a trade, they will kind of uh, see that, predict the arbitrage and uh, bundle the user's trade and their arbitrage, send it to our system. The GL Labs block engine will simulate it and basically choose the highest payer uh, for that arbitrage. Um, I think, you know, there's, we're also running, in the block engine, we're running a lot of different uh, auctions at the same time mm-hmm. because you, um, if you've ever interacted with Solana, you probably see, like, if you go to the, the Block Explorer, you'll see all these accounts. And, you know, for someone coming from Ethereum, you're like, what the heck? Like, what are all these accounts doing? Um, so when you build a Solana transaction, you have to specify that account state that you're reading to or writing from upfront. So you'll say, oh, I want to like trade on, uh, like this Orca market at this public key. And, you know, here's my token account and it, this is going to be written to this. I'm only reading from and so on. And so our block engine will actually like, uh, separate all these bundles and all these trades into different auctions based on the. Uh, read and write flags for each account. So we can actually run an auction. We're on Ethereum. You're kind of like auctioning off the entire block and your price that you pay is relative. You know, there's just a basically single auction running. Um, in the, the block engine, we're actually like looking to see what's being read and written to. And then you can kind of pull them apart into disjoint sets and then you can 
simulate all of them. Um, so you're actually like the, you know, if there's a lot of MEV on like some Orca pool or like NFTs and stuff like that, it won't affect like Radium or Phoenix. Um, that's something we spent a lot of time engineering and working on. And I think it's, it's been working pretty well. Yeah, that seems like a pretty big engineering lift. Let me try and um, put that into Ethereum words so that uh, the Ethereum people can uh, interpret that for the people who aren't familiar with Solana. So Solana has this, you know, local local fee markets, right? Uh, and this, I, I think, is uh, down downstream of that conversation. So, like, if this was um, in Ethereum, it would be something along the lines of. Uh, an application or a transaction that is going to you know change some state of Ethereum, and that state is an arbitrage transaction between Uniswap and Sushi Swap and Zero X, for example, or or like Matcha. The transaction itself would label in the front of the transaction, I am going to engage and change the state of Uniswap and Sushi Swap and Zero X, and I'm only going to change the state of these uh, contracts. And things I'm not going to touch is like everything else, you know, like Aave, MakerDAO, um, OpenSea. I'm only touching these three things that I've specified, uh, and then and then it unlocks those for uh, for state changes, and then you know the, then the computation happens because that leaves room for other transactions to talk to Aave and not have to be worried about any transaction that is arbing the you know the dexes, for example. And so what you're saying, Lucas, is that in the Jito uh, client, when you guys are running these auctions, you can actually create separate auctions for space in the block, in the Solana block, for highest bidders that are segregated per activity. Uh, and so there's probably some optimization, some algorithm, because there's going to be like some Venn diagram of semi-overlapping transactions. Some are touching the same contracts, some are not touching the same contracts. And so it's a little bit of Tetrising going on to make sure that you can create a very high value block with all of these transactions. But the point is that there's multiple auctions for multiple different slots, depending on what that transaction is doing. And then the Jito what Jito is, is like an optimization for making sure that the highest value transactions get filtered up and allowed to be in the very first slot because that's what they're paying for. Uh, and then it starts to like fill in from there. But the cool thing is, is that it gets to fill in multiple places at the same time. Because if my transaction is touching Uniswap and I really want to pay a very high price for that, somebody else's transaction can are uh, Ave and those two won't conflict to e with each other. They can both take the number one slot because they're only touching separate contracts. Did I expl explain all of that correctly? Yeah, that was perfect. I couldn't have explained it any better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's kind of like the, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's kind of like the, the parallel fee markets on Solana basically mm -hmm. kind of applying a similar concept in the block engine. Um, I think, you know, getting into that a little bit more, I think it's maybe not even like the Aave contract. It would be like, oh, I'm going to touch this like specific pool and set inside mm -hmm. Aave. Or like if I'm talking to Uniswap, it's like I'm only talking to like the like staked ETH USDC pool at this address. And like, um, you know, it's not the entire contract. So like we can actually run, you know, Orca is a popular uh, AMM on Solana. Uh, we could basically run an auction in parallel for every single pool on Orca. And as long as they're not sharing, as long as there's not a overlap state there. Right. And all the point of this is to say that once Jito is done doing its work, it's produced 
a the highest value block possible that it could produce because it has it's like a pre-processing layer for Solana, right? It, it almost is kind of like in a way. I know the engineers of Solana don't uh, like my uh, more uh, imagination-based metaphors, but I'll try and do that anyways, which is like, Cheeto is a little <laughs> bit of a mempool for Solana in that it processes transactions and orders them in this nice orderly way before it actually like puts a block into the chain. Is that like a fair metaphor? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like a, it's like an optimization layer for validators to build more efficient blocks. I think the the one thing is on Ethereum with a PBS, you have the builders are actually building the entire block. And so you run into some issues there, like a lot of the um, potential censorship issues where Jito is, um, we're not actually building the entire block, we're building pieces of it. So it's kind of like, uh, I think, in, uh, you know, I think Enshrine PBS is looking at like partial block building inside there. So you can kind of think of it like that, where we are, so we're building like the the really profitable pieces of the block as efficiently mm -hmm. as possible. And then the validator software is handling the rest of the stuff. And the reason why I want to spend so much time on this is A, because it's interesting and worth noting, but also B, because it's like kind of the tip of the Jito stack. Like what is, what is Jito? It is delegated staking. Uh, it is a staked soul token, Jito soul. But it really, again, like the like I said, the really the the shining part of Jito is the MEV optimization and high value block building uh, aspect of it. Can you talk about how that circuits back into the value of the Jito soul token? Because to me, like my, if my understanding of Jito is correctly, like Jito will live or die by the value of Jito soul. Right, like that is like the the pinnacle of the Jito system. Jito Soul is supposed to be the most efficient uh, Soul asset to own natively on Solana. Can you talk about? Can you just complete the circle for us? How does all of the things we've talked about go into increasing the value of Jito Soul? Yeah, so Jito Soul is a reward bearing liquid staking token. So on, I think on Ethereum like Lido, it's a rebase. So they will kind of credit you more um, staked ETH when you receive the rewards. On Solana, all of the liquid staking tokens are reward bearing. So the price of Jito Sol and liquid staking tokens as a whole go up relative to the price of Sol. So you stick your Sol into the stake pool, you get back Jito Sol. That Sol represents the Sol that you initially deposited plus accrued uh, inflation and uh, MEV rewards. So the goal is like, you know, any any stake pool can delegate to the Jito Solana Valder client. The hope is that MEV becomes um, a main like uh, revenue driver for Solana so that liquid staking tokens can start to realize some of the, these rewards in the price of the liquid staking token relative to Sol. So essentially as an opportunity to um, add more rewards to Jito Sol, and, um, you know, it, it ultimately impacts the APY of liquid staking tokens on Solana. Mm -hmm. And people run the Jito client because it optimizes MEV extraction on their behalf, right? Like, and so I, I have enough technical chops to be able to yeah. like download a client and run it, but I do not have enough technical chops to be able to run an MEV bot. Like that's roughly about where my line is. Uh, and, and so like for me as an individual, if I could run a Solana uh, validator, I could just run the Jito client and I could like 
raise significantly the bar for me to be able to engage in MEV extraction. Maybe I'm not at the tip top of the Solana ecosystem, but like mm-hmm. it's a way higher than I would ever be as like a semi-technical individual. And so that that's kind of the motivation and the, the and the democratizing access that Gito has or the democratizing power that uh, Gito has for the Solana ecosystem, correct? So yeah, we want to make sure that like every everyone can have opportunity an opportunity to do this and access to it. Clients open source, it's permissionless. Uh, anyone can connect to the block engine and start receiving these bundles. And there's kind of this marketplace of searchers and traders that are available that we we kind of like Gita Labs will kind of handle that side and talk to searchers and market makers and figure out, you know, what features do they want? How can we make your transactions more successful? Just make it a better experience. Um, so we kind of have this marketplace that we built up over time with these traders and market makers and, you know, validators can basically get access to that through the block engine. So, you know, there's block engines all over the world right now. There's four. Um, there will likely be more next year that will kind of go into more decentralized parts of the world, like Singapore and, um, you know, other parts of Europe that don't have a lot of stake right now. And the goal is to basically give access to this to anyone. So if you're a validator, you don't, really need to care about this stuff. You can just run the Gita Solana client, hook into the block engine and start receiving these profitable bundles and help make the network run more efficiently. Can we talk about the way that the economics of Gito impacts Solana? Uh, and so uh, can, maybe we can start with um, how much of the MEV is being able to be pocketed by Arbors versus how much of that MEV is getting sent into the Gito Soul token. So like, what's that like pie split? There's a bunch of value being created here, a bunch of uh, value being divvied up. How much goes into the Gito Soul and how much is left being pocketed by arbitragers? So yeah, basically uh, anyone can run the Gito Solana validator client. Um, the way it works is that um, when there's a tip that's sent to the block engine, uh, we try to optimize the tip for a given set of uh, state that is running the auction. That tip will then get paid out to these programs. Um, the program will kind of split the the fee there. So right now, Gito Labs takes five percent. That's to cover infrastructure and engineering costs. Um, you know, to be transparent, it's not really close to that right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're we're betting on more we're betting on more trading activity coming to Solana and things getting more efficient. Um, so Gito Labs will take five percent. The other 95% goes to a uh, what we call a tip distribution account. And essentially, uh, the, the tips will aggregate there for an entire epoch. You can think of it like a validator's MEV piggy bank. So uh, for the epoch, the MEV is accumulating in this piggy bank, which is unique to that validator for that epoch. And essentially what happens is at the end of the epoch, there is a process that runs off-chain which will uh, distribute, it'll calculate a Merkle tree and a Merkle root. Basically, it does an MEV airdrop. So the airdrop, uh, the Merkle root will get uploaded to this account, and then there's a bunch of transactions sent out. Uh, right now, it's around 400,000 transactions every two or three days that get sent out and pays out the MEV to the validator, and then all of these stake accounts on the validator. So validators can set their own commission rate um, I think if you go to, uh, there's a there's a retool dashboard I can share after, but it will show all of the validators running the client and their MEV commission rate. And so, uh, you know, the, the Merkle root contains the information to kind of break that piece off that goes to the validator. 
The rest of it goes to the stake accounts. Um, for liquid staking tokens that are delegating to these validators, um, the liquid stake, the stake pool has, it manages a bunch of stake accounts. So what happens is the pool has, uh, you know, there's the pool and then there's like a hundred or more stake accounts that are sitting on these validators. So in the last step I was describing where the MEV is distributed to stake accounts, there is basically uh, the stake pool will receive the MEV in that stake account and that's pro rata to its uh, share of stake on that validator. And so the MEV gets sent there, um, sits a soul, and then the pool can basically collect that and restake it. And then, um, you know, it kind of compounds that. And then the, um, the MEV that goes there, the, the stake pools have a, what they call an epoch fee. And this is basically a fee that goes to the treasury. So if you go to gov.gito.network, there's a fee account that has Gito Sol in it, and that's basically uh, 4% of inflation and MEV rewards. So that's kind of how, you know, that that's the super high-level picture and then how it flows back to the treasury, and then it also gets auto-compounded back into the protocol as well. Okay, so that was four five percent to Gito Labs, four percent to the Gito Treasury, and the, 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 those two numbers are correct. Yeah, so the four percent to the Gito Treasury is just the 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 uh, the five percent to Gito Labs is on all MEV, and then the four percent to the Treasury is just on the soul that the Gito Soul Stake Pool manages that portion of MEV. Understood. Okay. And then the, yeah. the large majority is just sent to either the Gito soul or validators who run the Gito client, correct? Uh, so majority, I guess the majority of it gets sent to the validators, the stake accounts on the validator. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the Gito soul stake pool is staking to that validator, then it will receive it in that stake account, which basically funnels back up into the pool. So- okay. Um, it's not like, I guess, to the Gito Soul protocol is not, uh, like today, it's not earning like an unfair amount of MEV compared to everyone else. It's basically equalized between everyone. Okay, so with the Gito client and the MEV optimization and building the block, how, so I guess the question I really want to know is what is the value capture difference between just like staking and dele or delegated staking your soul to a validator? versus holding Gito Soul because Gito Soul captures some of the MEV, correct? So like how how much I guess is it more advantageous to hold Gito Soul and how much more value do you accrue doing that versus just holding um normally staked soul? So yeah, I think the the yield is pretty similar between the two. So if you okay. go to like Solana Compass or something like that, the yield is currently roughly around, you know, 6.8, 6.9%, pretty similar to staking to normal validators. I think normal validators are maybe a little bit higher because there's not the 4% fee, but um, you get some benefits as well to liquid staking. So, you know, you can, um, similar to like, if you, if you run your own validator on Ethereum, you might earn a little bit more yield, but you're kind of, there's downsides to that. So with Gito Sol, you know, you have a liquidity and, um, you know, you don't have to worry about the downtime and all that. Okay, so you, ac yeah. you actually make less money holding Gito Sol due to the 4% fee that you talked about earlier 
than you would if you had just staked your Solana directly to a validator. But then the nice thing is, is that you can go and use your Jito Sol inside of Jito, uh, inside of Solana DeFi, which, you know, if you can somehow find a way to get more than 4% value out of that, then all of a sudden you're in the green, correct? Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting opportunities going on in Solana DeFi. And, um, you know, not financial advice, but there's certainly ways to um, use that Jito Sol and other liquid staking tokens to... Um, kind of get higher yield. Okay, and since the Jito drop, like I kind of said at the beginning, the activity in Solana has just jumped in a very, very big way, and fees on Solana have started to actually, you know, show up. Does that impact the economics of Jito Sol, or is there kind of like a wall where that that doesn't really those the fees and MEV opportunities on Solana do those permeate into Jito Sol very much? Uh, yeah, we're definitely seeing the beginning of it. I think it's kind of the first inning. Um, so, yeah, the, the MEV system has made, I think, 50 or over 50% of all fees in MEV have been made in the last two weeks compared to the the previous year. So there's definitely been a, there's been a lot more trading activity. Um, I think the interesting thing is that um, the the priority fee on Solana that has provided pretty good uh, economics for validators, but the priority fee isn't actually passed on to stakers. And mm. so stakers never see if without Jita, they're, you know, there's the validators earning those priority fees. Um, those priority fees can be significant. It's pretty volatile depending on the trading activity and what bots are doing with the MEV. You're actually, the, the stakers are actually able to receive some of the MEV. So I think we're, we're kind of in the first inning um, I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying like what type of boost it will provide to yield. Um, I think there's, there's a lot that can change, but I do think that, um, you know, that potential is there in the future. Right. I guess, yeah, it, it's, I'm guess I'm wrapping my head around the fact that just the economics between Ethereum and, Sol and Solana are just fundamentally different at the transaction level because, uh, you know, Ethereum is all about passing um, value down to ETH stakers because it is like the widest, largest, most accessible, and most decentralized part of the Ethereum blockchain transaction supply chain. So if you can like prevent MEV arbors, mm. uh, if you, the gas that they pay gets passed, uh, if the searchers uh, bid into the block builders who bid into the stakers, well, then the stakers are ultimately the people that get it. And so when there's more gas fees, stakers get more yield. Uh, but it sounds like that's just not the pattern that exists in Solana. Yeah, so there's, um, I guess, there's a few ways that it passes on to Ethereum stakers. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's been a while since I looked at the ETH uh, economics in detail. Um, but, you know, there's there's EIP-1559, right. and that burns the the base fee. It's dynamic right. based on usage. Right, and that, that goes to everyone, not just stakers. That goes to just ETH yeah. as an asset. And then you have the, um, I think they, they call them the priority, is it the priority fee or the tip? Um, tip, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's um, the tip. So yeah, the tip um, goes to the stakers or basically the, right. the stake on that validator. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a little different on Solana. The, the base fee, 50% of it gets burned. 50% goes to the validator operator. Uh, they're, they're static on Solana um, mm -hmm. at 5,000 land ports. And then there's the priority fee as well, which 50% of that gets burned. 
um, and 50% goes to the validator operator. Oh, okay. So wait, so is there really any difference between the economics of a base fee versus the economics of a priority fee on Solana other than like one is required and the other one is just gets you higher in the list? Uh, today, no. Um, I think they, I think that needs to change. Um, you, I think the, the fact that the priority fee is burned, I think is, uh, uh, one of the shortcomings in the protocol, but I think, you know, that's pretty easy to fix. I think priority fees have the incentive to, um, they, they can potentially incentivize like out of band payment. And, you know, if, if I'm a validator, uh, Hey, I want you to pay me. You can pay me through the system where if it, I don't get, I only get 50% of it, or you can pay me through this other system where I get a hundred percent of it. You know, which one are you going to choose? Um, and so I think, you know, priority fee, I imagine, um, I don't want to speak for the, the core engineers or the foundation or anything, but I think that will probably get changed, uh, pretty soon here to where the validator keeps hundred percent of the priority fee. Well, to me, that is exciting because like I said at the start of this episode, I think the economics question, the economics conversation of Jito is the most interesting one. Uh, and I think the most interesting thing about Ethereum was the arc of its economics over time. Like I got into Ethereum when the economic, the monetary policy was five Ether was issued per block and that was it. And then we got to watch it go down to yeah. three and then we watched it go down to two and then we saw EIP 1559 become merged and then we saw proof of stake happen. And it was like one of the most fascinating stories that I think was uh, just ever to uh, like unfold in the crypto space. And so if you're telling me that there is like a bunch of conversations about the future economics of Seoul, I certainly think that that's a, a pretty fascinating conversation. Um, where where do those conversations get held? What are the state of these conversations? If if people like me are interested in following along with those conversations, like where what would I tap into in order to do that? Yeah, there's a lot of the a lot of the conversations are happening in Discord in the. Um, there's a Solana tech discord. Um, there's some happening in telegram. It's kind of, um, it's decentralized, pretty decentralized right now. So there's a lot of conversations happening in a lot of different places. I think ultimately, um, people are trying to kind of get back to the forum as like a single place to discuss these ideas. Um, so you're seeing, I think we'll start to see that happen pretty soon as these like ideas materialize into more concrete ideas and implementations. Um, another place that you're seeing these happen is um, there's a um, there's a SIMD repo. It's a Solana improvement proposal or Solana improvement document um, repository, and you're starting to see some. You know, it's it's that's kind of the place for these like large protocol changes that need to be coordinated between a lot of different stakeholders. We're starting to see more conversation happen there. Um, so there's uh, if you look up the uh, Solana um, pra, P-R-A-W, in the, the SIMD repo, there's a ton of discussion in there. It's kind of a alternative path to some type of dynamic fees um, to, to charge uh, users and bots. Um, so, there's, yeah, there's some conversation happening there. Um, but, yeah, and no, I, I, think, I think there's, you know, no system's perfect in its economics, uh, at least at the beginning. And I think there's there's a ton of flexibility in the Solana protocol. You know, we were talking about the the different accounts that you have to specify up front that you're going to modify, and you can run a lot of these transactions in parallel. So you know, there's potentially 
Um, some ideas are to run like an EIP type mechanism on each account. Maybe you run it per program. Um, there's EIP a lot of flexibility. I think you know it's you going mean? to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's going to be a there's going to be a large opportunity to, um, like figure this out. And I think you know it's it's going to be like herding cats for a little bit. But I'm pretty confident the the community is open to change. And I think Solana one of its strengths is. Um, taking feedback and implementing it pretty fast. And I think we'll see that happen hopefully in 2024. Are you launching a token? Is it already live? How are you managing the legal and tax for providing token awards for your team? Toku simplifies everything about managing token grant compensation, and you can get started with them for free. You'll have access to top-notch legal and tax support to handle the distribution and management of tokens for your team. Toku caters to every step in the process, from user-friendly legal templates for granting tokens to tracking vesting periods and calculating withholding taxes. Toku understands every grant structure, token purchase agreements, restricted token awards, restricted token units, token options, and all the other ones. Toku is already simplifying this today for leading companies like Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Mina Foundation, and many more. You can learn more about how Toku can help you streamline your token management and get started for free. Visit Toku at toku.com bankless or click the link in the description below. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo Forum, so has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. I think with that, bit of conversation right there, you we start to open up the rabbit hole of uh, Solana governance because now Solana governance is a conversation because there's newer clients of Solana. And when there are multiple clients of Solana, all of a sudden what Solana is, is no longer determined by one single client, hence because there's multiple of them. And so who says what Solana is, is now a, a governance conversation. Uh, but I want to leave that at the very end of this podcast. In order to get there, I actually want to talk about the decentralization of Jito because that is a microcosm of the decentralization and mm -hmm. governance of Solana. So we'll have to start with, with Jito first. What is the long-term plan for the G decentralization of Jito? Yeah, so the, the Jito Foundation just released the governance token, JTO. Uh, it allows the token holders to participate in governance. And the uh, Jito network, as we've kind of gone over, there's has its hands in a lot of things. And, you know, I'm like pretty excited to see people participate in governance here. Um, right now it's the governance controls, the stake pool. So there's some fees associated that governance can vote in, you know, maybe governance wants to drop fees. Maybe they want to lower fees. Um, you know, you can put these proposals up at forum.gito.network and, you know, get some input there. Um, there's uh 240 million uh, JTO tokens that, uh, governance can controls 
So that can be used uh, in, you know, any way that token holders please. And uh, there's a few other parameters as well. Um, I think, you know, we'll probably get in, uh, probably seeing a lot about StakeNet as well. StakeNet will be the way that, um, assuming that governance uh, votes it in, will be the way that the Judo Soul stake pool runs. And there's some parameters in there that, um, because it's an open source delegation strategy, token holders can actually change the way that um, the stake pool runs. And it all happens on chain. An open source, let's, let's unpack StakeNet really quick. An open source delegation strategy. What, what is that and why is that important infrastructure for Jito? Yeah, I think it will be like the most, uh, assuming that the the Jito token holders and governance vote to kind of transfer the the running of Jito soul stake pool to StakeNet. Um, I think it will be the most decentralized stake pool in existence. Um, basically what... What StakeNet is, is an open source delegation strategy that runs on Solana. And so <clears throat> basically anyone can contribute to running the stake pool um, if, it's, um, if it delegates that authority to StakeNet. So um, I think today, um, or the, the data filming, we just open sourced a piece of StakeNet, which is the, the first component is the Validator History Program. Basically, um, the validator history program is using uh, Solana as a database for validator performance metrics, which I don't think has ever been done before. <clears throat> so basically, you can see how well a validator is voting, their history of commission. You can see like when they're changing their commission rates, how well they voted in the past. Um, you can see what version of client they're running. You can see the client type. So you could see like Solana Labs, Jita Solana, when Firedancer's out, or the Zig client, that will be stored in there as well. And um, there's 512 epochs worth of data, which is several years of data. This data started uh, getting collected on September. So there's actually like a few months of data in there already. And so, um, you know, this is one piece of the program. There's a lot of other features that I look forward to contributors contributing to like block production quality. Um, there's this big issue or uh, like challenge of how do you figure out where a validator is located in the world? Um, and yeah, there's a bunch of other cool things I'm sure people will come up with to add to StakeNet. And basically this is like the source of truth for all validators on Solana. And then there's going to be another program which will be released uh, in the in the near future and basically it will reference that data to operate the stake pool. So all of the delegation logic and parameters for controlling stake pools will live on Solana. So basically you can write math. It's like, hey, I wanna look back six months. How did this validator do? Um, how, did, how did do compare to everyone else? So you, know, you can score all these validators on chain and then you can write the logic to basically say, oh, like I have this stake delegated this validator and this one delegated to this validator, you know, this, this one's doing better. So StakeNet can basically take the stake off that validator and move it to a different one. Um, you can expand the size of the stake pool. Um, I think, you know, the, the possibilities are kind of endless, but I think the main goal is like <clears throat> putting all the delegation logic onto Solana, using Solana as this like database for validator history and uh, essentially yeah, just putting all the logic on chain so that Jito Soul and 
other stake pools, if they adopt it, can live forever. The way I kind of see StakeNet from what, what you described is kind of like um, a, the brain of Jito, uh, where you're, you're, since Solana is a, a, you know, a system that you can put data on, you're taking all the data about the state or health of Solana validators that are part of the Jito system and putting that on chain so that StakeNet can consume that data, evaluate the Jito validators, and then load balance or you know, determine who gets what stake as determined by the StakeNet algorithm. Um, Yearn is a system in DeFi, in Ethereum DeFi, that optimizes for yield with different strategies. And it kind of sounds like that's kind of similar. It can be kind of similar where we can like load up a algorithm, load up some strategy into StakeNet that load balances across all Jito validators into an optimized fashion. And what does it mean to be optimized? Well, that's up for Jito governance to determine. Is that a fair way to articulate this? That's perfect way to articulate it. Um, a lot of the, the, basically all the data that StakeNet uses, except for like one, uh, I think there's one piece that isn't available on chain. Um, all of it is copied from, uh, backing up, I guess, the um, a lot of the data that we're referencing is in what's called a vote account. And a vote account uh, lives on chain. If you remember, you know, there's been some, uh, stupid FUD in the past from like the Solana non-vote versus voting transactions. You know, people are saying a lot of the transactions are vote transactions. Well, yeah, vote votes are transactions and the state of how well a validator is voting is actually stored on chain and those transactions reference that. So what StakeNet is doing is basically um, there's, a, there's keepers that anyone can run and when you uh, when you crank this program, it will basically copy the vote account into StakeNet. And so StakeNet is basically checkpointing this data periodically and storing historical analysis of it. So it's not like there's like a centralized party that's like you need to like trust to like upload this data. It's like this is actually like you can look at the code. It's all open source. It's copying this data on chain. There's a few things that aren't available on chain. And for that, we're actually using uh, data available in gossip. So all the Solana nodes are gossiping with each other. They're not actually transactions. They're just kind of like packets. And in order to gossip those transactions, it's uh, every validator signing the transaction with their key. And basically, you know, you can say, oh, Lucas's node said that their IP is this or they're running this version. And we're actually taking that gossip data and uploading it on chain and signature verifying it on chain. So all the data in StakeNet is, um, it's either signature verified or it's copied from the actual voting accounts on chain. So it's very like high quality trusted data. And yeah, uh, basically like um, if like the Jito token holders want to adopt StakeNet, they can and all the data is available on chain. So I think, you know, my personal opinion and like vision for this is like people start to like explore this data more and they look at the, you know, there there would be like a current like V1 delegation strategy where it's like, okay, this is kind of like a first pass at what this looks like. It's very simple, reliable, will work, but there's going to be opportunities to tweak that. And all that data is available on chain. So I think this is going to kind of encourage people to get more involved in governance, take a look at this data. There's probably going to be some like data science people that are like, looking at all this data and being like, oh, what if, you know, what if we tweak the algorithm a little bit this much, we can, you know, expect Jito's sole APY to increase this much, or, you know, 
what if we look at the locations of all these validators and, um, you know, tweak, tweak the locations of all of them to kind of spread it out. So I think it, it just opens up a lot more possibilities and a lot more people to get involved in the operation and governance of the Gita Soul stake pool. And the reason why we like this product, this uh, component of the Jito system, StakeNet, is that because it we prefer things to be governed by code. Uh, and so we have this like code, this open source yeah. code system to be a manager of the Jito tech stack. And the only way that humans get involved is when like somebody's writing an alternative version of the code and then they show everyone else in the Jito ecosystem like, yo, guys, look at this code that I wrote. It's better than the one that we currently have. I propose that we merge it and that is the new code that governs, but ultimately it's code that governs and humans only update things when they decide that they have better code. For sure. Yeah. I think that's super important um, because all StakeNet lives on chain. I think you can have StakeNet interact directly with governance. So you can build your own governance platform or potentially have it reference realms and actually have it uh, be the stake pool can be directly controlled by governance, all on chain, uh, minimal human coordination there. I think that's like a really cool idea. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited about it. Would you say that that's the main governance um, lever or vector inside of the Jito system, or just a, or is that just a pretty big part of it? But there's other things that are relevant to Jito governance as well that we need to discuss. Um, I, th- I think that that will be a main piece of governance moving into 2024. I think there is some more flexibility with stake pool fees. Um, so token holders can kind of look and do more fee math if they want to and, um, you know, figure out how, if the if the fees need to go up or down. Um, I think there's also, you know, the, the 240 million JITO tokens that the, if you go to gov.jito.network, you can see those, they're in the treasury, they're con- controlled directly directly by token holders. So token holders can kind of find creative use cases for those tokens, put up proposals, get them to pass, and kind of uh, take the take the control of Jito network into their own hands. All right. And now Jito is a part of Solana governance at large. So there's Jito governance governing Jito, but then there's Jito that has its share of Solana governance. Lucas, can you talk about just like why Solana needs governance and where Solana is in its like arc of its own internal governance conversations? What, what, what for somebody who's uh, not to- totally familiar with this state of things, like what, where, what should people know? Yeah, I think like up until this point, I think there's been a few parties involved with governance on Solana, and um, you know, similar to Ethereum, you kind of have. Um, I don't think, as far as I know, there hasn't been any like Ethereum uh, votes. There's kind of like this like soft governance going on where, you know, they have core devs and the client teams and, you know, you have the stake pools are kind of involved. Um, maybe not directly so much yet. Uh, maybe in the future, there's basically, a, there's a ton of stakeholders involved. I think on Solana, that's starting to grow or you're starting to see more stakeholders get involved. So, um, you know, I think it'll play out pretty similar. I think it's probably in like the second inning of, of getting to uh, more decentralized governance right now. So I think, you know, the, I think the community is starting to take more control. I think the client teams are starting to get more involved, um, like Jito Labs and Fire Dancer team 
Um, there's been kind of uh, some of the independent validators are starting to push for governance more. Um, there's actually a vote on Solana in uh, October. And then um, I think you might have been there, but there was a, the, uh, at Breakpoint, there was a community conference that was held um, that was kind of talking about governance. So I think like there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. Um, we're definitely starting to see more uh, progress on that front. And I think that will continue to develop into 2024 and beyond. Yeah, I, I was at that one panel about Solana governance uh, in at, at Breakpoint, and it seemed just pretty obvious to me that uh, these conversations, people weren't used to having these conversations and they didn't know how to think about these conversations. Uh, and so like, it's just, I think the Solana community at large, like learning about um, a vector of what these crypto economic systems are, uh, that it's kind of like ignored for a while because like Solana, there's like it's all the hardware engineers, it's all the low level, uh, low level engineers. The uh, and so like these governance conversations are like these new things that everyone's kind of like, what what is these? What are these conversations? What do we do with these conversations? And so <laughs> yeah. kind of seems like everyone's kind of kind of figuring it out as they go. Is that kind of the vibe? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely, I think it's it's still pretty early in Solana governance. I think. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to learn from other ecosystems here on what has worked and what hasn't worked. Um, there's a lot of governance experiments going on, and then there's some, some uh, you know, pretty long-running governance procedures on things like uh, Ethereum and Cosmos, um, or lack of governance in some cases. <laughs> and so, I think <laughs> hopefully, uh, you know, the Solana community can kind of like use those as case studies. Um, you know, when you if you take like a business class or something, there's like all those those case study documents that you read. It's like, oh, this is what this is why this business succeeded or failed, and you know, here's some key learnings there. I think that's super important. I don't think um, there's no need to like invent the um, reinvent the wheel here, but I think that there is like you know, there's a lot of experiments that have kind of run or a lack of experience experiments that have happened, um, and you can kind of see what happens there. And I think that. Um, I'm hoping the Solana community and the stakeholders involved will kind of look at that as a reference. Well, Lucas, I, I've learned a lot in this episode, so thanks for, for coming on Bankless and teaching me and a lot of the listeners all about Jito and, and Solana. Just like zooming all the way back out, I think most people ask these questions at the very beginning, but I like to ask them at the very end. Um, what got you started with Jito and of all of the ecosystems that you could spend your time on, like you could have been on in Ethereum, you could have been in, in Ethereum layer twos, you could have been on Avalanche, you could have been on Cosmos, but you chose to build Jito on Solana. Why? I really resonated with Anatoly and the team's vision on Solana. Um, I come from a computer engineering and firmware background. So working in like pretty low level C, C++ code on like very resource constrained devices. I love making code run faster. I love making code use less resources. It's like what I went to school for. I did that for several years and worked in robotics before working at Jito. And I think that um, this like high performance state machine and trying to use memory and the resources available the most efficiently as possible really resonated with me. And um, I dove into my first foray into Solana was the, I think it was the March 2021 hackathon and uh, built a project there and really just kind of like, I did MEV on Ethereum before starting Jito 
and that was kind of my first like introduction into programming um, and interfacing with chains. Learned a ton there, and then switching over to Solana, it was pretty rough at first. There wasn't that much documentation, but I really just like fell in love with the process of like, you know, they used to call it chewing glass. I think they kind of moved away from that at this point, but uh, the chewing glass meme used to be a real thing, and I love that. And uh, you know, just kind of interacting with the chain from like a programming standpoint, it was just super cool. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited to see the like Solana community lean into that. I think, you know, they're really like diving headfirst into that high performance efficiency with Fire Dancer. I think, you know, super excited to see how that pans out in 2024 and beyond. Do you have any perspectives as to what the Ethereum community or outside of Solana communities or... I don't know, the ETH Maxi podcasters, what they don't understand about Solana or what they misrepresent about Solana the most? I think the the centralization narrative of Solana, um, I think that's massively overblown. Um, I think the the there's like thousands of validators running on Solana all across the world. And so I think from like a, a server and like, geopolitical and geographical standpoint, the network is extremely decentralized. Um, I think that uh, my personal opinion is that like running nodes at home is a little overrated. Um, I think that running in data centers is probably fine as long as they're kind of like spread throughout the world. Um, You know, maybe with Fire Dancer and more efficiencies in the protocol, you will be able to run Solana node at home. But I think more importantly, like, this like ultra fast, super fair, super cheap state machine is like the most important goal here to like really unlock uh, access to the these uh, this technology and these services to anyone. And so I think that's um, that's those are some things that I think um, maybe there's like some disagreements there with the Ethereum community from Solana people. Sure. Um- Interestingly enough, I'm actually about to have Anatoly on the podcast later today in about an hour, actually. And I'm going to ask nice. him the same question, uh, but I'll, I'll ask it to yep. you as well. But it'll be a question in the form of a monologue, if you will. So spare me. Um, uh, Nick Carter, yep. once upon a time on an episode I was listening to on his podcast, uh, it, this was right after OFAC banned Tornado Cash. Uh, and Nick Carter is a famous Bitcoiner. Uh, and he said a line that kind of stuck with me is that like this kind of shows that Ethereum is actually the spearhead of the crypto movement in and trumping Bitcoin because Bitcoin didn't really have this. It didn't offend the nation state in this way because um, it's you can't do tornado cash on Bitcoin. And if and if Ethereum is pushing up against like the Treasury and FinCEN and all of these things, it kind of sh- is proof that Ethereum is doing something right because it is it has teeth right it has claws uh and then after as a result of that ofac um banning of tornado cash addresses there was a big movement inside of the ethereum blockchain supply chain when it comes to censoring uh tornado cash transactions and then like websites like mevwatch.com uh, i think uh spun up and you could see like the red and the green of the blocks that were being proposed that were banning ofac transactions or weren't and for a while, the number of censoring blocks crept up to like 80 to 85%. And then it's been down only ever since. It's somewhere around like 33% now. Um, and I think that conversation has spawned a lot of, that is one of the most impactful things that's happened in crypto to this day, because it's really about like, oh, crypto is getting so large. 
that is going up against the largest powers that exist. And I think when we can go back and forth about how decentralized Solana is, but I don't think, I think the real test will be like, does Solana produce something that offends the nation state to that level of degree? And I think using that as an acid test is like, well, it's great if we have geographically distributed Solana validators, uh, but what happens when some tornado cash alternative lookalike um, is built on Solana and so the Solana ecosystem has the massive amounts of success that all the Solana community wants for it. And if it does have that success, it will attract the Lazarus group. It will attract hacks. It will attract North Korea playing around, trying to do the things they've been doing on Ethereum for the last four years. Uh, and so I think my question to you is, do you think the Solana community, the Solana tech stack is ready for that? Um, I think it is. I think there's um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of validators that are outside of the US. And so, you know, they validators can kind of make their own choices. You know, people have different opinions on whether they should respect the the rules of the US government or not based on if they're in the US or not or other personal beliefs and you know, people can have that. I think that there's enough stake outside of the US to where if it was an issue, then people might have a little more flexibility. Um, I think a lot of this also revolves around the way that PBS has kind of shaped up, especially the MEV. And you kind of got around to this in the MEV transaction supply chain. Uh, this is actually one of the major like learnings that we had. And I think maybe like, I don't know if like Flashbots predicted this or not, but it's been a, a really good learning experience in the way that our system works and the architecture. And because we're actually building partial blocks on Jito, um, the, the Jito block engine doesn't have the same issue. Um, and it's kind of up to validators if they want to make that decision or not. Um, so I think from that angle, that was like a pretty, pretty powerful learning experience. I think, you know, outside of that, I think, it will definitely stress the network. I think anything of that magnitude, ultimately you want to be a super successful network. And like you said, like, or uh, what Nick said, it's like at a certain point you become so successful that you start attracting attention from the government. And so that, you know, if, if Solana is successful, it will have to deal with these issues. And um, I think it'll be pretty hard. But as we were like mentioning earlier, I think there's in the governance conversation, I think there's a lot to learn from other ecosystems here like Ethereum. And so I think, you know, hopefully the Solana community can take some of those learnings and apply it to any hardship that it has in the future. Well, Lucas, I wouldn't wish the ire of uh, OFAC on any ecosystem, but also I kind of do because it means that ecosystem <laughs> is doing extremely, extremely well. Uh, and it is kind of like the final boss and the more chains that we can go battling the final boss, the better. So in some weird, sick way, I do wish the Solana ecosystem well in its endeavors in order to get to that point. <laughs> uh, Lucas, thanks for coming on Bankless today. Just one last question for you. Just Jito metrics and dashboards and maybe Solana metrics and dashboards. If listeners want to just look at Jito, yeah. Uh, what websites can they go to to go check this thing out? Like what websites or metrics or dashboards do you frequent on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, so um, one of my favorites is the Jito Bundle Explorer. So that's explorer.jito.wtf. You can see all of the bundles that searchers and traders are submitting. 
um, super cool to, to see like, you know, it's doing over a hundred thousand bundles a day. Um, so there's a lot of cool information in there. Um, another one is, um, there's some dune dashboards, um, can share you the link, share the link with you after there's someone that works at dune, Andrew Hong, he's been helping out a lot on the Solana, uh, dashboards. And so there's some Gito soul specific ones. And then, um, another favorite one that recently popped up is the, uh, 21 co released a dashboard on Solana key metrics. So, you know, it shows the volume and the price and, uh, number of user transactions and fee burns and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, big fan of Dune and the, uh, Gito bundle explorer. And then actually, I guess, uh, now, now that we're filming this, I think it'll be released later this week. There's actually a Gito stake net kind of like a V1 UI. So you can go to, let me see here. I think it's, uh, Gito.network. I want to say it's slash stake net and, um, you can view a lot of the stake net stats there. Cool. Lucas, we will get all of those links in the show notes for the bankless listeners. Lucas, thanks for coming on my man. I learned a lot. And like I said, the economics conversation around Solana, I think is going to be a very interesting one to track, especially this bull market. While Solana, you know, gets new levels of stress testing in terms of just like numbers of transactions and users and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's a sign of success. It's a sign of health. Uh, Lucas, you've been putting in the work through, uh, throughout the bear market. So congratulations on getting to this point and I wish you well, my man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Bankless Nation, you know the deal. Crypto is risky. Ethereum's risky. Solana's risky. Tech stacks of this nature, they're all risky. You can lose what you put in. We are headed west. This is a frontier. It's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.